Hello, and welcome to the Fourth Trimester Postpartum Stories Podcast. I'm Marcy Coleman, and I am holding space for newly postpartum parents to share their journeys. Hello, and welcome to the podcast. Today, we have with us Elizabeth Shinko. So welcome. Thanks for having me on. Why don't you start by telling me a little bit about you and your family? Sure. So my name is Elizabeth, and I'm married, and we have two little kids, a son who's about two and three quarters, and a daughter who is about 10 months. And we recently got a puppy as well, a silken windhound named Vinny. And we are in Ohio. Dominic is my son's name, Dominic and Elena. So Dominic, I definitely was a little bit worried about being able to get pregnant easily. We have some infertility in my family, but it ended up just not being difficult at all. Uh, Actually, with both of the kids, we got pregnant on the first try. So I definitely felt very lucky in that regards. But I'm very much into just doing all kinds of research and uh, looking everything up. So I was able to do a lot of the, like I'd used the ovulation predictor kits and did all kinds of tracking. So I definitely kind of felt in control, but I, I can understand how, how difficult it could be for somebody that it might not be so lucky. But that's about everything there. Uh, and then as far as my pregnancy with Dominic, it was pretty much textbook. Feeling got sick in the first trimester, second trimester was great. And then the third trimester, you know, it's kind of over it. Don't want to spend too much time there, but I can go into the birth. My plan was to... I. I definitely wanted to have a birth in a hospital. I didn't really feel comfortable doing like a home birth, but I kind of wanted in between. I didn't want to go the whole OB route, but I I wanted more of kind of a laid back approach and less medicalized. So I did again, a lot of research and I found a hospital pretty close to me. There are multiple hospitals that I'm close to within like a half hour, but I found one that had a pretty big team of midwives and OBs. So I chose that hospital and there's, they have an office actually really close to me. So I was able to see midwives mostly throughout my uh, prenatal care. And I really liked that. Now at the hospital, since they have such a big team, it could be really anyone who was on call that you could deliver with. Uh, So I decided to hire a doula as well. And I liked that because I knew that whoever delivered the baby, I would have my doula there with me and had a relationship with her. I did some classes with her. Something else that I wanted to have was to be able to labor in the tub. But it's kind of funny because both of my kids were born way too fast for me to be able to labor in the tub or give birth in the tub. But that's something that I kind of wanted, wasn't able to get, but that's okay. So then it was two days after my due date with my first. On my due date, I, I pretty much was pretty sure that I wasn't going to have him on my due date. So on my due date, I made myself a big batch of cookies. It's like my consolation for not having him on my due date. But anyway, then I, I made way too many cookies and I couldn't even eat them all. So two days after, it was the middle of the night. I think it was either 4 or 4.30. I woke up to contractions and I just got in the shower, kind of relaxed. Um, and they started out about four to five minutes apart. So they actually started out pretty close together and they're about 45 minutes, 45 seconds to a minute long. So I just labored by myself for a couple hours. The plan was to labor at home as much as I could and then go to the hospital. So after a couple hours, it started to get a little more intense. I was throwing up. They weren't really getting close to closer together because they are already pretty close together, uh, but just getting more intense. So I called the doula and let her know what was going on. And she came over, I think around eight, a little after eight o'clock. And then they were just getting more and more more intense. Uh, and I think I went through transition at home. They, there were a few that were like right on top of each other, really intense. And she told me, and my 
mid or my doula also practices as a lay midwife. Uh, so she does home births. And she told me, she's like, okay, Elizabeth, we either need to go to the hospital now or we're going to have a home birth. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, well, let's just go to the hospital. So we went to the hospital after that. And he ended up being born, I think it was like a little or about an hour and 15 minutes after we pulled into the driveway at the hospital. So definitely pretty fast. I should have probably gone to the hospital earlier, but that's okay. Oh, one kind of funny thing when we got to the hospital, I had three contractions just walking into the hospital. And then we got to the check-in desk. Uh, there was somebody there checking in who was in labor trying to get into triage. And they asked me if I could wait in the waiting room. I said, yeah, that's fine. So I started to walk to the waiting room and I had a contraction. I was like, standing there, like, breathing through it, like, obviously in a significant amount or decent amount of pain. Uh, and the people at the check-in counter saw me having that contraction. They're like, oh, actually, I think we need to get that lady first. So they made the other person wait. They had me go back. So I went to triage and I was already dilated to an eight in triage. I didn't want a wheelchair or anything. I practically w- ran back to the room. I just talked to the nurses at first. And they kind of got me set up, got the HEP lock in. And then my baby ended up, Dominic, he started to have the heart decels, which is normal. Like his heart was decelerating. But then my contractions were so close together, it wasn't recovering very well in between. So they did have to call an OB in. I don't, I don't even know if there was a midwife that came in and talked to me. If, if there was, it was very brief. But so I ended up having the OB because they basically switched me to high risk when he was having the heart decelerations that weren't recovering. So they tried a whole bunch of different things. And I was at this point, I was dilated to a 10. So I was starting to push. My water broke at the hospital there when they checked me and found out that I was at a 10. So we tried a bunch of different positions. Uh, they gave me oxygen and just, it just wasn't helping his heart rate. So they basically said, okay, this, we need this baby to come out as soon as possible. Uh, there was a bit, I wish there would have been more communication. I mean, I know I was having back-to-back contractions and I wasn't really in a place to have a conversation, but the OB basically said, okay, I'm using a vacuum now. It, it wasn't like, I think this is something that we should do. What do you think about this? It was, okay, we're doing this. So in retrospect, I kind of feel like there was a bit of loss of control uh, there and that I, I wish I would have spoken up a little bit more and said, hey, maybe we can like I just have a very short conversation or I can try to push a couple more times, something like that. It was more, this is what's happening to me. But I did not have an epidural or anything. Um, that w- I did get a tub room, but I, we weren't even able to think about filling it, but it's okay. So I didn't have an epidural. So when they did the vacuum, when the Bobi did the vacuum assist, that was definitely the most intense, most painful thing I've ever experienced. It was pretty rough. And she told me later, like, she really does not like doing vacuums if the person hasn't had an epidural. So like, it was very much something that she felt was necessary. But the good thing is the the vacuum assist worked very well. They only had to dry it one time. He came out pretty easy after that. But between the vacuum assist and everything being uh, really, all the contractions being back to back and so intense, I tore really bad. I had a third degree tear. Uh, The OB called it a 3.75 out of four. So that was really bad. And then the OB said that she did not feel comfortable repairing me in the delivery room because they don't have great lights back there. And since I didn't have any pain management, she didn't want to just give me the local. She thought I needed something more. So she wanted me to actually go back to the operating room and get a spinal and then do the repair there. So, you know, at least we were able to have a conversation. Uh, It wasn't really ideal, but she said, no, she, I feel like this is the best way to get you repaired properly. So I agreed. They let me stay with my baby for about a half hour And I did want to talk just for a second about how I felt when he was born. I had convinced myself earlier that I was going to cry. I don't cry a lot, but I I was like, I'm going to cry when he's born. I actually did not cry, but I was like so overwhelmed with emotion. And I remember just thinking over and over again, 
I love you so much. I love you so much. When I first met him, they were able to do skin to skin with him right away. So that was really great. Okay, so they let me cuddle with him for about a half hour. And then after that, she wanted me to go back to the operating room. So I did that and um, left him with my baby with my husband and they did all the measurements and that, but it was not great not being able to be with him for that. That's you know, probably the, the thing that I miss about that situation the most. Altogether, I was away for probably about an hour and a half. It was about an hour to get me prepped. They gave me a spinal, which for anyone that doesn't know exactly what that is, it's similar to an epidural. It's basically what you would get if you were going to have a C-section. So it's the same numbing effect as an epidural, but they just give you one shot in the back rather than leaving in. Uh, So like with an epidural, you can get multiple doses. So this is just one dose, but it has the same effects of then you're numb. So I wasn't able to walk at all the rest of pretty much the rest of the day. They had to put a catheter in. So it's like part of the reason that I didn't want to have an epidural was so I could move around after. So it's like I got all the all the downsides. So then the surgery was probably about an hour long. So it's gone about an hour and a half. Uh, and then I went back to my baby. My husband had ordered me dinner, but since I was trying to hold the baby, I made him feed me. So that was kind of funny. So the good thing was the repair and the surgery all went very well. And I haven't had any long-term complications from that. But it was definitely a lot to recover. Like I said, I couldn't move around really at all that whole day. Uh, And then I just had to really take it easy for really probably a couple months. I took it easy and I couldn't move around hard at all the first few days, even a couple of weeks, I, I tried not to overdo it. I think not overdoing it really helped me be able to heal really well. And then as far as my baby in the hospital, since they considered that a slightly traumatic birth for him, they wanted to check his blood sugar. So he had to have his heel pricked a few times and it, it was good at first. And then it got kind of, it got a little bit too low than what they liked. And honestly, I think most of that was because my milk hadn't come in yet. I just had the colostrum and he wasn't getting very much, but they weren't comfortable with it. So we ended up feeding him a little bit of formula and that helped it get his blood sugar up. Some nurses gave me a pump, but like they didn't really show, they, they're just kind of like, here, pump. And I think they gave me instructions, but they didn't, like nobody showed me how to use it. So I wish I would have, well, I wish really somebody would have spent the time with me showing me how to use it. Or that I could have stood up and said, hey, I don't really know what I'm doing. Like, Can you help me with this? So since I just had colostrum, I was only able to get a few drops with the pump. So I don't know that that did a whole lot of good. She was born on a Friday. And then I guess they didn't have lactation consultants in on Saturday. So I wasn't even able to see a lactation consultant until like Sunday when we were getting ready to leave. So that wasn't very helpful. <laughs> I guess he had an okay latch, but he would like just because I was new to nursing, uh, there was a lot of pain with that and like soreness and I was getting chapped. And then the lactation consultant ended up giving me these like little gel patches. And she told me to put those on when I wasn't, when I was on breastfeeding him, that that would help. And that would help with the soreness. But I ended up, I think that actually made it a little bit worse. Because when I got home, like it just wasn't getting any better. And then I started, I got these little things that are supposed to kind of help with the milk, like catch dripping. And they kind of give you some air as well. And I started using those. And that actually helped a lot with like the chapness. Since his blood sugar came back up from the formula, uh, we didn't have to stay extra or anything. I just I gave him formula with a syringe, so he we wouldn't have to worry about nipple confusion, hopefully. And he did okay with that. That's about everything at the hospital. My nipples started feeling better after I used the the little cups, and then I was also starting to have more pain. That was it was a I wasn't sure at first if it was the same thing or something else, but I would have like a really deep pain, like especially on my left side. And like every time 
my baby would latch, I would just cringe. I, it hurt so bad and it would hurt the whole time I was nursing and even some when I wasn't even nursing. I remember talking to a bunch of different people about that. Nobody could figure it out. I talked to the pediatrician about it and she gave me terrible advice. She told me to limit my baby's nursing to like 10 to 15 minutes and then not nurse him anymore and that would help me heal. Uh, which in retrospect, you know, it, it, we were dealing at the same time with, and I'll kind of circle back to this, but we were dealing with low weight gain at the same time and low supply. So that was like the worst advice she could have given me because I think that even made my supply drop a little bit more. But I talked to the OB because I had a three-week appointment because I had such a bad tear in addition to the six-week appointment. So I talked to her and my midwife as well, my doula, and none of them could figure out this pain that I was having. I thought maybe mastitis, but like I wasn't getting a fever. It wasn't red. And finally, I brought it up to my chiropractor and she was the one that figured it out. I had a lymph backup and I guess it was exacerbated by wearing bras that were too tight. So the first thing I did was I got like a looser bra and my like rib cage area expanded a lot when I was pregnant. So I didn't really think to buy a looser one when I was pregnant. So that's definitely something that I would recommend. Make sure your bras are not too tight. But the chiropractor was able to give me like a really deep massage kind of in, like in between my shoulder and my breast. That's where the lymph was, she said. Uh, and that helped it kind of clear out. She did that over a couple of weeks. And that within, I'd say about three weeks altogether, it was completely gone. So that's something I had never even heard about. I thought was was pretty crazy, but really glad that she was able to fix it. Okay. And then if we want to kind of circle back a little bit to my baby's low weight gain, he was pretty average when he was born. He was seven pounds, six ounces. So pretty average. But then when he had his appointments with the pediatrician, he just wasn't gaining like he should have. He was gaining, but not as much. So he was falling off the curve, as they said. Basically, the only advice that the pediatrician gave was drink more water. And if I drink like 100 and some ounces a day, that should help my milk supply. I talked to everyone I could. I talked to my doula, who's she's not an IBCLLC, but she was a lactation consultant. She had me triple feeding, which is where you nurse the baby and then pump and then feed it the milk that you pumped, basically constantly nursing or pumping. And I power pumped, which is where you pump on and off for about an hour. I tried all kinds of supplements. I tried galactagogues, making the milk cookies and milk muffins and essential oils, lots of oatmeal. Had the chiropractor do some adjustments. That helped a little bit. Like with all of these, it, like, it, like if I was power pumping, I would get an ounce, an ounce and a half at the most on both sides. So maybe it was definitely not getting enough. About a month out, we decided just to give him formula. It was emotionally draining for me to try to do the triple feeding and the pumping. And I wish that I could have given myself more grace in that time. It was very hard emotionally because I wanted to be able to exclusively breastfeed him and give him as much milk as I could, you know, provide for him. And it was definitely very tough not being able to do that. But I really wish that I could have given myself more grace. And I wish that people would have told me, you know, it's okay, no matter what you do. It's okay if you want to take a break from pumping. You know, you don't have to do every possible thing. I also wish that somebody would have had a conversation about maybe trying medication. That's the one thing that I didn't try. I don't know if that would have helped or not, but nobody even had a conversation with me about it. I thought that was a little bit strange. But anyway, after we started supplementing with formula, he did much better. And we ended up supplementing probably about half. So I'm, I'm guessing I was able to give him about half of what he needed through breastfeeding and then about half with formula. He did much better. He started gaining weight back. He's always been, a, he was always a small baby and still is kind of a small kid, but he well, takes after my husband. My husband's been really, was a really small kid as well. 
but he did a lot better after we gave him the formula. And then it wasn't till about a year postpartum that I kind of figured out what was going on. I did a bunch of research on it and I found out that I probably have insufficient glandular tissue. I don't actually have an official diagnosis, but I've talked to a few different midwives and professionals and they all say that's basically what it sounds like. So when I was pregnant, my breasts didn't really grow at all, like maybe a tiny, tiny bit, but like at most half a cup size, barely. And then I also have like a flat space in between my breasts. And those are two really common signs. And then having low supply or not being able to make a lot of breast milk or just not enough is how it manifests. So the good thing about it, though, is that if you have more pregnancies, more babies, you are more likely to grow more of the glandular tissue. So a lot of times it is better with your second or subsequent pregnancies, which did end up happening. So I'm glad about that. That's something I feel like is starting to get talked about a little bit more is people having issues with low supply, but there was hardly any talking about it when I was pregnant with my first. And just everything I would hear would just be, oh, most people don't have any issues. If anything, you're going to have an issue with oversupply. And there was kind of this sentiment that if you did have low supply, it was because you weren't trying hard enough. That was really tough. I I feel like the conversation is getting better, but we still have a lot of work to do. And even if you do, if you do give your baby formula or donor milk or whatever it is, like it's okay. Doing so much to try to increase your milk supply can be emotionally draining. That's definitely where I was. So it's okay. Mental health is so important and feeding our babies is important. There's definitely a balance, but we should not feel guilty about doing whatever we need to do to do what's best, what's healthiest for a baby and for mom. And then that's pretty much everything as far as uh, my first birth with Dominic goes. Okay. So moving on to your second pregnancy, what were your hopes for that birth? Yeah. So my second baby is Elena and I was basically hoping to have a a similar care and kind of match up to my expectations of what my expectations were with my first pregnancy is kind of what I wanted to happen with my second pregnancy. So we stuck with the same hospital and same team. I ended up having to switch midwives several times, not anything that I necessarily wanted to do, but the first midwife ended up going to a different office, the one that I had been seeing and had seen at the end of my pregnancy with my first son. And then the second midwife that I saw, I really liked her a lot. And then she she was pregnant and due like a month before me. So she ended up going on maternity leave. And then I had to switch to someone else in the office. But I, I liked pretty much all of them. So that wasn't a big deal. My pregnancy was pretty similar, but a little bit more difficult. I don't know if it was because they were relatively close. My two kids are about 23 months apart. I had more, I had just like varicose veins in my legs. That was a little bit crazy and had some more nausea, some more food aversions. I don't know if that was because it was a girl or if it was because it was my second pregnancy. And then all of this happened during COVID as well. So there was a lot of emotional stuff uh, that we were dealing with. And one way it was kind of good because... I didn't have to go any, like if I was sick because I was nauseous, I didn't actually have to go anywhere. I could just stay with my kid. That probably got hardest for my husband at the end because I asked him to do a like really strict quarantine a few weeks before she was born. So he wouldn't have to worry about not being there for his kid's birth or anything like that. But he likes to like go to stores and walk around. So it was a little bit hard for him to stay home. So we were, we were definitely feeling it toward the end of the pregnancy. So then as far as the actual birth with her, it was some differences and some similarities. She went five days post dates and my mom started staying with us actually on my due date. Plan was for her to take care of my son. 
and she lives about 45 minutes away. So she ended up just staying with us on my due date. That way she wouldn't have to come up in the middle of the night because I, I kind of figured it would be in the middle of the night. And I knew since it was, rel- oh, I, I don't think I said it was relatively fast with my first baby, uh, about seven and a half hours of labor altogether. So we knew it would probably be pretty fast. And then as far as the hospitals allowing doulas, they my hospital was one of the few at the time. This was February of 2021, February of this year. My hospital was one of the few that was allowing, they would allow one doula. They considered doulas essential workers. So I was thankful about that. I had to ask pretty much at all of my prenatal appointments, are you still allowing a doula? Are you still allowing a doula? Uh, and they, they did. I was five days past my due date. I actually had scheduled an in- induction just in case I went longer than a week. I didn't really feel comfortable going longer than a week overdue. So I'd scheduled an induction for 41 weeks. But of course, 40 plus five, I woke up at 1.30 in the morning and I woke up to the sensation of my water breaking and it kind of felt like I was massively peeing myself. So I, like, I jumped out of bed and I said to my husband, I'm like, my water's breaking. And I ran to the bathroom and like most of it, I was able to get like in the toilet, but I'm definitely like, okay, that was way more liquid than was in my bladder. So I'm pretty sure that wasn't me and that was my water breaking. And I actually had this amniotic test strip that my doula had actually given me from my first birth, my first pregnancy and I hadn't used it. I tested that and it ter- if it turns like dark blue or black, that means it's positive. So I tested it and it was positive. I sent her, I sent my doula a picture. I said, yeah, I'm pretty sure my water broke. She said, yeah, that looks positive to me. So I did want to take a shower because I really liked that with my first pregnancy slash birth, just taking a shower and like relaxing, making sure you're nice and clean before you go to the hospital. Uh, so I did that. And then the plan was just to go to the hospital uh, as soon as I was done in the shower. We left the house about an hour after my water broke and my contractions weren't very intense at all. Like they were just very light. They had started about probably 10 minutes after my water broke and they were I want to say they were around five to 10 minutes apart at first. And then once, because I was sitting in the car and then once we got to the hospital, we had to sit around to wait to get checked in. So that actually made them space out really far. They spaced to like 15 minutes apart. So I was wondering a little bit if we might have a long road ahead of us. And then when I got back to triage, they checked me and I was only around two to three centimeters dilated. I told my husband, oh, maybe, maybe she'll be born around nine o'clock in the morning. And oh, my midwife that I had been seeing was going to come on shift at seven. So I was hoping that I would be able to have the baby with her. No, my baby had other plans. (laughs) I got a room that had a tub. So I wanted to get in the tub to labor in there. And by the time I was in triage for a couple hours. So by the time I got back to my room, it was, I think a little bit after four, I filled out all my paperwork. It was actually a midwife who was there that I had never met before, but she was really great and wonderful. So I'm really glad that she was midwife there. And she just was really calm and really explained everything, kind of walked me through it, which especially would have been great. It was my first. I kind of knew a little bit of what was going on with my second, but even for that, it was fantastic. And she definitely wanted to check me before I got into the, to the tub. It was getting to be a little bit after five o'clock. So it had been three and a half, four hours. And the contractions were getting pretty intense and I was walking around. Like for me, I really do well when I'm in labor to walk around. Uh, and that I think really helps the baby move down and really helps my contractions. And so I asked to be checked so I could get in the tub. So I had my doula t- or my doula took notes with timestamps too. So it was 518 is when I asked to get checked. So I was dilated to a seven and she said, okay, that's dilated enough that you can go ahead and get in the tub. So I started to fill the tub. And then at 5.30, I started to feel the urge to push. 
So 12 minutes, she checked me again, and I was at a 10. So that 12 minutes, I basically had nonstop contractions. I threw up a few times. And they say that throwing up, like it was mostly just water, but they say that throwing up really helps you actually dilate pretty fast. So the tub was halfway full. I couldn't get in the tub though, because it was, they don't want you to actually deliver in the tub there. And also this baby was also having some of the heart decelerations. Uh, So the midwife had me lay on my right side on the bed. And that can help with heart decelerations lying on your right side. And it luckily it did help with her. A break came back up and in between, and I, I was still having the really the back-to-back contractions. So it was pretty similar as with my son, but she was handling it a bit better for sure. After I was dilated, I pushed for just about 10 minutes and then she was born. And I remember when, and also I didn't have the epidural again at this time. So everything was no pain medication. It's definitely, definitely very intense. And I remember feeling the ring of fire a bit. And my midwife at that time told me to slow down just to give some real soft pushes. And that was good. And then with her, I after the 10 minutes of pushing, she was born. They were to put her right up to my chest. Kind of similar, you know, the, the, the flood of emotions. And just I was able to uh, really feel a lo- feel connected to her right away. And not everyone gets that. And if you don't feel connected to your baby right away, like that's okay too. Almost immediately, she wanted to, my baby wanted to nurse, so that was that was pretty interesting with with her. It took a little bit longer with my son, but right away she was reading around, looking looking to nurse. And I just had a second degree tear. I did not have the full third or almost fourth degree tear, so that was much better. I delivered the placenta fine, and with both of our kids, we had the cord blood banking, cord and tissue blood banking. So we did not do the delayed cord clamping. I just told them to get as much blood as they could for the the sample. So after I delivered the placenta and was cuddling with my baby, the midwife, she gave me just local anesthetic for stitching up the second degree tear. And that, you know, definitely wasn't comfortable, but it wasn't, it really wasn't too bad. Uh, and then the nurses told me that they wanted to just keep an eye on my bleeding. And I think with my first son, I had, well, with both of them, I had an, an IV, like a Heplock. I think with my first son, they just gave me Pitocin and after he was born and didn't tell me that they're going to, didn't ask, ask me if they would. A lot of places that's pretty standard to help control bleeding. But this with my second baby with Elena, they told me they wanted to just keep an eye on bleeding. And if it wasn't too bad, they wouldn't have to give me Pitocin. And I noticed that the afterbirth, the like contractions, uh, the afterbirth contractions weren't nearly as bad with my second baby. And usually it's the opposite. Usually they say that it's worse the more babies that you've had. And I think, I'm not 100% sure, but I think that was because I didn't get Pitocin and that with my first birth, the Pitocin made my uterus contract back a lot faster and stronger. So that probably made the afterbirth contractions worse, whereas I didn't have that with my second. I mean, I definitely still had a few, but they didn't last as, like they didn't last as many hours and they weren't, they weren't super intense. So I would recommend, you know, if you don't have to have Pitocin, not to get it or to ask not to get it. Obviously, some people need it because you have to watch uh, to make sure that you don't have a hemorrhage or don't have too much bleeding. But I would say if you don't need the Pitocin to ask if you can not get it. And then as far as just my recovery, that was so much better. I think a lot of that was not not tearing as bad and not having to get a spinal after and having an epidural. I was able to walk around that night. I was able to take care of my baby pretty easily. And, you know, I still, of course, took it easy but it just was not nearly as rough of a recovery. It was, I felt like myself a lot faster. And then we only ended up staying in the hospital one night because we didn't have any complications. And it was kind of funny being in Ohio, we in the middle of February, 
it, there was a forecast of a big snowstorm. Uh, so we're like, oh, we should probably get home in time to beat the snowstorm. We also just didn't want to stay longer than we had to. And then there ended up hardly being any snow. There's like a couple inches, not really a big deal. But everything was good at the hospital. I would also recommend, I w- and I wish I would have done this with either of my babies, is letting them go to the nursery for a little bit and get a few hours of sleep. My husband, I think, is a little bit scared of newborn babies that he's going to uh, break them or something. So he didn't want to hold her for very long. So basically, I was holding her most of the time. And my son, he was able to sleep in the little bassinet for a couple hours. And I got a couple of hours of sleep. But my daughter, she did not want to sleep in that bassinet. And I didn't want to fall asleep while I was holding her. So I wish I would have sent at least her to the nursery for a few hours and gotten myself a few hours of sleep. So I would recommend doing that. It's okay. (laughs) Our hospital stay was pretty much uneventful. As far as our breastfeeding journey, it was so much better. Uh, I got a lot more breast tissue with her, I believe, during my pregnancy. I still didn't have a lot of growth. So I think there must have been some breast growth that just I didn't necessarily see. But it was definitely there. She was able to eat a lot more. And she had the signs of being more full. She had more dirty diapers, more poopy diapers. And she was just more content after nursing. And she had better weight gain too. She was still really low on the charts. It was like, like neither of them were double digits. They were like sixth, seventh percentile around there. But she was gaining better. She wasn't going down on the growth chart so much. So I was able to exclusively breastfeed her till around eight months is when we started giving her a little bit of formula. Once she hit around seven months, she started biting me really bad. And that was not fun. But I think like she was getting impatient because she started to get solids at the same time. And she's like, I want my food faster. So I think her biting and then getting the solids that made my supply kind of tank. And as I mentioned before, I did not want to go through the emotional drain of trying to pump to get my supply back up. So I'm like, I'm just going to be for a formula. And since I already processed all the emotional stuff with my first baby, it was easier for me. I'm just going to give her formula and it's okay. Like I'm not going to worry about it. So around eight months, we, yeah, around eight months is when we started giving her formula and she's, she actually had a bit of a dip in there. I think around six months where her weight was a little bit lower than what the pediatrician would have liked. We actually, we switched pediatricians too. I actually went to a completely different office and found a new pediatrician that I absolutely love. She does great with both my kids. She wasn't really worried about it, but she had us start solids and then started solids and then gave her some formula. And now she's, she's pretty much weaned by now. She'll get like a few drops every day, but that's about it. But that's okay. I said, I'm much feeling much better about the whole thing with her. I think that's pretty much all the major stuff. So our listeners can find you on the Facebook group. Is there anywhere else they can find you? Yes. So I'm on Facebook sometimes. And I also have a YouTube channel. I haven't posted very much lately just because of how busy my life is right now, but I'm hopefully hoping to get back into that. And I have a lot of videos on there. I have pregnancy videos, some cooking, a lot of tutorials, like lifestyle videos. It is Life with Elizabeth. And I can also give a link to that if you want to post the link. I'm on Instagram a little bit. Don't don't post on there very often, but I put some pictures on there. It's life underscore with Elizabeth. Excellent. Did you have any other resources that you wanted to share? Uh, I'd say the most helpful thing for me is just listening to other people's stories. There are a lot of YouTube channels that have uh, pregnancy videos and labor and delivery nurses. There's some of those on YouTube. Nurse Zabe is one of my favorites. And then definitely listening to podcasts. I like the Birth Hour podcast a lot. I listened to over 500 birth stories by the time I had my second baby. 
So yeah, definitely listening to other people's stories. And I would say getting connected with a good chiropractor, a good prenatal chiropractor uh, would definitely be something that I recommend. They can help with all kinds of things. Well, thank you so much for coming on and for sharing both of your stories. Thank you so much for having me. If you would like to continue the conversation, please join us at the fourth trimester postpartum stories podcast group on Facebook. All of our guests are there and we are discussing all things postpartum. I look forward to sharing another story with you next week. If you would like to share your postpartum experience, you can find the submission link in the Facebook group, as well as on my page, fourth trimester postpartum.